Good morning again. Man, it's been a good day. Isn't that awesome to see our kids uh, not only just serving, but, but asking you to pray for them, and I, I really do hope you'll continue. So we're in this series talking about Shiloh Road and our 2030 vision and what we see as a church and how important it is for us to grasp some of these core values. And I think these core values are not things that we just thought up. I think these are things that have been part of our church from the very beginning, going back to 1978 when it started, that, that some of the things that we're talking about, pursuing God together and that people matter and circles are more important than rows, that some of these are, are core values. And, and there are times, I think, that we kind of push back from them because um, they, they create vulnerability for us, as we talked about last week. But it's so, so important for this church to be what God has called us to be, to be people who are vulnerable and in love with him and filled with his spirit and moving out into this world. And so the, the value I want to talk about for a little bit this morning is seeing needs and meeting needs. And when we talked about this value originally, it came from the idea of generosity is important to us. And I think about the church in Corinth as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And he tells the, the Corinth church about the Macedonian churches and how they have excelled in the grace of giving. They've been so generous that it amazes him because they've given beyond their means. And I think we have seen that in this church over and over throughout the years. And I started thinking back to this last year. Just all of the ways that this church has jumped in and shown incredible generosity from the, the City Serve mission where we provided, um, I, I, was it 2,500 toothbrushes and toothpaste? I don't even remember the number now. Um, toothbrushes and toothpaste for the homeless. Haiti and Live Beyond mission that we have given to um, year after year. EEM missions, the Bahamas Relief, where in one Sunday you gave over $30,000, and we just sent all of our contribution as that church that day to the Bahamas for relief from hurricane. Um, Easter candy and Halloween candy, things we don't really think about, but that we give and give and give. Christian homes and family services here in Tyler. Triumph Village that we've become really um, a part of, and we love these guys, and we're so thankful for them and seeing what God is doing the blood drive, where we far surpass their expectations. And Charter Blood Care has said year after year that this church is the most generous church in far, as far as blood donations go. And that, that amazes me. Um, last year we met our budget, right? And we had our REACH initiative where you gave over $250,000 to finish out this work as well as begin our children's ministry wings, and so the generosity side of this is part of it with our money. But the reason we went with seeing needs, meeting needs, is because so often the way that God calls us to be generous people is not through our wallets, not through our checkbooks or our money. But he calls us to be generous with our life and the way that we serve people. And it created some problems for me as I was trying to prepare this sermon. I struggle with this one more than anyone that I have in this whole series of figuring out, because I wanted the stories to be narratives and stories about people changing lives. And the problem was, every time I came to a different story, I saw incredible generosity 
and I loved and wanted to preach that story. And the next day, another story would come up, and it was what I wanted. And so it wasn't that I, I didn't have a story that I could choose to preach from. The problem is I had too many stories. Because over and over again, you see Jesus in the midst of people, in the midst of crowds, showing incredible generosity to them. There is a man who has had leprosy. And he begins crying out and begging Jesus to come and heal him. And he says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus looks at the man and he has compassion on him. And he touches In a society that believed, without a doubt, if you touch someone with leprosy, the disease would be transferred on to you. Jesus touches the man. And his purity and his cleanliness and his holiness is transferred on to the leper. And he is healed. The disciples have gotten into the boat with Jesus and they're going across the lake when a furious storm comes up, and the winds are beating on the boat, and they're breaking over the boat, and it's going to be swamped. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And as he's sleeping in the boat, his disciples come and wake him. And they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drowned? And he asks them, why are you so afraid? And he stands up and he says to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And everything is silenced. There are two blind men and they come to Jesus and they say, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus and his disciples continue on their journey. It seems like from the story that they've ignored their cry for help. And they go inside to a house, but the men follow him into the house. And they come to him, and Jesus asks, do you believe, do you have faith that I can do this for you? And the men reply, yes, we believe. And the, Jesus touches their eyes. And they are healed. There's a synagogue leader who's come to Jesus. And he's asked for Jesus to come and heal his daughter because his daughter has just died. And Jesus, filled with compassion, says, yes, let's go. And as they begin walking, crowds of Jesus, crowds are surrounding Jesus and pushing against him. And this woman comes crawling through the crowd on her knees, just trying to grab the hem of his garment. Because she believed that if she touched the hem of his garment, he would be, she would be healed. And Jesus turns and it says, when he turns, he saw the woman. And he says, your faith has healed you. And Jesus continues on this journey with his disciples, and they go into the house of the synagogue ruler, and there everyone is weeping and mourning. 
the death of this young girl. And Jesus says, there's no need for this. She's not dead. She is just asleep. And they all laugh at him. Because they've seen someone who's dead before. They know what a dead person looks like. And so Jesus has them all sent out of the house. And he walks over to the little girl. And he takes her by the hand. And the little girl gets up and walks. There are some men who find a man who's been paralyzed. And he's lying on a mat. And there are stories circulating all over about the healing that Jesus has, the power to heal people. And these men, these friends, pick this man up by the mat and they take him to Jesus because they believe if they can get him into the presence of Jesus, he would be healed. And they carry him to the door of the house, but there are so many people that they cannot get in themselves. And they start looking and trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they go up onto the roof, and they start pulling away the tiles and they lower the man down onto the floor in front of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're looking for reasons to trap him, to accuse him. And Jesus stops his sermon and he looks at the man because he sees the faith of the other men bringing him and putting him before Jesus. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are are forgiven, which I'm sure that's not the reason he came. He came so he could walk again, but Jesus somehow sees a greater need, and he addresses it, and he heals the man, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to get so angry and talking among themselves, who is this who forgives sin? And Jesus says to them, just so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on earth. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, the man got up and went on his way. There's a man who is blind since birth. And every day looks like every other day. And one day, he sees Jesus and his disciples ask, Whose fault is this? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? And Jesus says, no, it's not anyone's fault. This was done so that God's power may be displayed in him. And so Jesus bends down on the ground, and he spits onto the ground, and he picks up some dirt, and he makes some mud, and he rubs it on the man's eyes. And he tells the man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he went and washed and came home seeing. Peter, on this dark and dreadful night, does the very thing Jesus told him he would do. Because Jesus said, you would deny me three times. And Peter has done just as Jesus said he would. He's denied Jesus. And Jesus is crucified and Jesus is now gone, and there is all hope seemed 
to be lost. And then one morning out on a fishing boat, they see a man up on the shore. And John realizes it is Jesus. And when he tells Peter who it is, Peter jumps out of the boat into the water and begins heading to the shore as fast as he can to be in the presence of Jesus. And after they finish breakfast, they go for a walk. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And the reason I always thought Jesus asked him three times was kind of to make him feel guilty. Remember, you denied me three times, and so I'm going to ask you this three times so that you remember, but I don't think that was Jesus' point at all. It wasn't to make him remember. It was to make him know that he is okay in God's presence, that he still has work, and Peter needed to hear it three times so that he could believe it. Not so that he would be guilty of what he did, but so that he could believe that God still had a purpose and plan, that he could still use him and do something powerful in his life. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, is story after story of Jesus seeing people in the midst of crowds, huge numbers of people, looking and seeing eye to eye with other people and seeing their needs and seeing their hurts and seeing their pain and seeing their heartache and seeing their brokenness and reaching out and touching them and redeeming them and restoring them time and time again. And there's one thing that's true and consistent with all of these stories that we talked about, is you don't know the full story. You don't know the story that led them to this point. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what their home was like. You don't know what their marriage was like. You don't know what it was like to raise their children. You don't know their story. And it's so easy when we don't know the full story just to assume and point fingers and make up our own. The reason they are as they are is because they were not more like me. Because they didn't believe enough, they didn't know enough, and you don't know that that person was molested or abused as a child. You don't know that their marriage is falling apart and it is breaking and they are dying inside. You don't know that the loss of their job led to so much struggle financially. You don't know their story. And the amazing part of Jesus' story is that time and time again, he doesn't look through the person. He doesn't look past the person. He simply sees the person there as they are. And all of these stories aren't about the individuals we talk about. 
these stories are about Jesus and his power at work in their life. And the beautiful part of their story is their story is our story. Because there are people in this room who have gone through more things than you could ever imagine. And we're so good about living in our own little world that so often we walk past people. You are sitting in the middle of a room with 500 people. And I got to ask, have you seen any of them? Not, not did you look and make eye contact, with, but did you actually see them and interact with them? And let them know that they matter and they care or cared about. Or did you just simply see past them? Oh, good morning. How are you? Because here's the truth every single person in this room is broken. And every single person, as we talked about last week, has stuff in their life that they don't want other people to see. Stories that you would never want to tell. And it's amazing that in the middle of the crowds, in the center of the room, Jesus could see people as they were. And not judge them, but care for them and touch them, even when they seemed to be untouchable. He had compassion we're doing this reading plan as a church right now. And this past week, I've been in Exodus. I'm actually a little ahead. I started a few days earlier, and so I'm a little ahead of where everyone else is. But, but we came to this part in Exodus where God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. And he tells Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I've seen the misery of my people. And I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I'm concerned about them. So I'm going to come down and rescue them. And he redeems them. He rescues them through the Red Sea. And right before he goes up on the mountain, he says, these commands I'm going to give you, if you obey them, if you'll keep them in your hearts, if you'll make them a part of your life, if they'll form your community, then you will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will represent me to the rest of the world. And so Moses goes up on the mountain to hear from God. And God is talking about the tabernacle, the very place where he will dwell, and the holy of holies, and the high priest who's going to be there. And the high priest is going to wear this, and be clothed in this, and do this, and look like this. And there's one man in all of Israel that's come out of Egypt that he says is fit to stand before him in the Holy of Holies, to be in the righteousness of God and be okay. And the very man God has picked for the job, while Moses is up on the mountain hearing from God himself, is down in the camp with everyone else, and they're dancing and going crazy around a golden calf because they've given up on God. The very person that God said, this will be the high priest that stands before me is doing what everyone else is doing and involved in all the same stuff that everyone else is. 
And I've often wondered, well, why, why didn't he just quit there and say, okay, we got to find someone else? But there was a problem. If you're perfect and you have it all together, and you come to Aaron, and Aaron has it all together, and you bring your sin, then there's a possibility he's going to be arrogant. And he's going to say, well, look, I've never done anything. But if it's Aaron who's done what everyone else did, no matter how bad your sin, he's going to be reminded of his own. And Aaron moves into this position as the high priest from a place of humility, which is foreshadowing to Christ. He says, the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God. He became it so he could deliver us from it. He enters into the mess. He enters into everything. And as Bennett or Donovan did such a good job reading today, that high priest that relates on every level is standing there seeing people. And he believes that you can be like him. And that Christ's likeness could be formed in you and make you more and more into the image of Jesus so that you could see people as he sees them. That you could love people as he loves them. That you could have compassion and not look through and not look past people. But to truly see the face of God on your brother and sister. We have lots of needs that must be met in our churches. There, there are some simple needs. Becca, our children's minister, always needs people to go look into the face of little children and say, I know that God loves you and cares for you. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to teach you. We, we have a need. Our, our Triumph Village, um, got the community there has grown so much that we need people to help drive them here. It's a simple need. You can get a van from here, drive out to Triumph Village and bring them on Sunday and Wednesday. Like it's such a simple need that can be done by anyone. There, there are some bigger, deeper needs to serve at places like Triumph Village and Refuge for Life, which is rescuing little young girls out of sex, sex slavery. There are those needs, but, but I want you to stop for just a second. Because those needs are so, so important. But I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up. Everyone stand up for just a second. And the people in these front sections right here, I know we usually don't do this, but can you guys right here turn and look this way? And you right here turn and look this way? Now here's a question. Did y'all know there were people back there? <laughs> because sometimes we get so set in our ways that the people who are sitting in front of, we simply look past. So I have a question this morning. If you're here this morning and you have been broken, if you've been hurt, 
you've been abused, molested, betrayed, had someone turn their back on you, had someone talk about you, felt left out, felt alone, been through a divorce, had your kids turn their back on you, scared about what tomorrow looks like. If you have been through any of this, would you just do me a favor and raise your hand? So often, we come into this place and we make the assumption that everyone who I see has got it all together except for me. But understand this. This room is full of people who have been through what you have been through. And they've struggled with addiction. And they've been scared for their kids. And their marriage has been falling apart. And they felt useless and unwanted and lonely and hurting. And what I would say to you is not only does Jesus see you, but we see you. We see across the aisle and we see people who are hurting and who are broken and who are doubting and who are questioning just like we are. And I would say to you, you are welcome in this place. And there are some of you that are here that have been hurt by a church before because you were made to be an outcast. And we want you to know that this is a safe place. And we hope and pray that you find healing. Because if we cannot see the needs in this room, it is impossible for us to see the needs of our neighbors. Because God hasn't just called us to meet the needs of this place. He's called us to be disciples, to go into all the world. And that includes next door. That includes your co-workers. That includes the people you come in contact with every single day that we quickly look past and we don't see. Can you see people through the eyes of Jesus and know that he loves and cares for them and that if we would live through his spirit and Christ's likeness in us, that we could change this world forever. But listen, that only comes through Christ's likeness being produced in us. And that does not just happen. It is a daily pursuit. And so as we get ready for this song, and just I'm going to ask Chuck, if you would just come right here to sing today. And if you're there and you don't know the words, there will be up on the screen way up back, so you'll have those too. But I do want to offer you this invitation. If you are broken and you're hurting 
you're scared, you feel alone, you've been betrayed, I want to just ask you to step out into the center aisle, here or here, just any aisle, I don't really care. And I want to pray for you in just a few minutes. No matter what it is that's big or small. Because I want you to know that you're not alone. You're you're not alone. Not only are there others here who love and care for you, there's others here who have been through what you have been through. And so I'll just ask you to step out into the aisle as we sing. We'll have shepherds in the back of the auditorium. If we could just put our arm around and pray specifically for something or help you. Um, And so whatever you need, step out in the aisle and sing. I'll be down front. Shepherds, staff will be in the back. If we can help you, please allow us to.